It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
You are entering the Rory Sauter Show, home of America's Man of the Hour and home of America's Biggest Trump Supporter. Climb aboard and buckle up your seatbelt because this is a wild ride. Nothing but unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. Mega, mega, mega. Welcome to the show, uh, UNC, UNC 
star, ex-NBA player, number one draft pick in the big three, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Rashad McCann. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? It's doing really well, man. It's really good to have you on the show. Um, your first time on. I want to thank you. Um, you know, it's a real honor. I was a big fan of yours uh, when you played at University of North Carolina. I, you know, I was a fan of yours in the NBA. I followed your career. Um, the big three, I, I love. I think it's great what you guys are doing with that league. And uh, you're, on a, you're on a good path right now, man. You're making different moves. you got a new book out, uh, basically putting a lot of stuff into perspective kind of uh, about the college sports level, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, you've uh, you did a lot of good stuff. Um, but, yeah, man, great to have you. You know, first of all, uh, like I like to do with all my guests, uh, please, uh, Rashad, even though we know a lot about you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I mean, you pretty much nailed it down, man. You you you, you pretty much gave a, a great introduction, man. Uh, but it's pretty much about the book for me. Um, through the testimony uh, time of going through UNC and playing in the NBA for the Timberwolves and playing overseas for the last eight nine years, uh, being able to really reflect and give back to to my culture and my and my community by writing a book that could help the youth and help the future. Absolutely, and you know you've been playing overseas for the last couple of years. Uh, where where have you been playing? Like what uh, what countries have you been playing in? Well, I played in China, China a few times. Um, I played in Lebanon a few years. Uh, places like that, Venezuela. Okay, very, very good, very good. Um, so, what I want to ask you, you know, this book. Um, I want to talk about this book, but what I really want to, you know, talk about as well. Let's, if you don't mind, you know, you were on uh, many interviews, um, you know, recently and in the last couple of years about how University of North Carolina and their academic program, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot behind that, there, you know, with, with what, you know, with what they've done, there's stuff that's came out. You explained, you know, how they basically, you know, will do whatever for players to make sure that they're on the court playing and, uh, you know, no matter what's going on in school, can you kind of a little bit of elaborate on that, of your experience and stuff and the problem with college sports and how, you know, a lot of these players, I mean, they're not held accountable, but at the same time, if somebody says they're going to do your homework for you, are you going to say no? <laughs> I mean, I sure wouldn't. Uh, but, you know, they, they're just led the wrong way. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, uh, you know, things that um, aren't, aren't well disciplined enough, if that makes sense. Well, it really boils down to this. I mean, everybody on this line, you know, either have a job or everybody works at that station or whatever. You know, you guys are not working for free. You guys are getting paid, right? So there yeah. is no scenario where you guys are working for free and your boss is getting paid all the money and he's bragging about it in front of your face. There's no scenario like that. That scenario exists in, in college sports where the kids get nothing, the coaches and the administrators get everything, and there's a farm system of it. So year by year there's no education being given out. There's no money being given out. It's slavery. I mean, I, you know, I somewhat agree with you. Because if you if you look at how these coaches are getting paid, they're getting paid a few million a year. You've got stars like yourself, like you were in college, you were a, a, one of the top players in, in the country, and you have all these players, and, and they're not, you know, I really go back and forth on that, but more of me leans towards these 
players need to get paid. If these coaches are making a few million a year, you got all these fans supporting you, there needs to be some sort of compensation. Um, I want to get more into this, but Josh, go ahead. I know you have thoughts on this. Yeah, so uh, the sh- a show on HBO called Ballers is really starting to get into, uh, you know, this idea of the crookedness kind of of the way the NCAA functions. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that show at all, but, it, it, you know, it's starting to go into that area. It seems like this is, you know, this idea of the NCAA and specifically college sports taking advantage of these kids is something that has become much more like it's, it's less of something that people hush-hush talk about and more of something that people just obviously know, like, duh, the NCAA is taking charge of these kids. How important is it that kind of the narrative, at least publicly, has shifted more towards the players in these universities and less towards the NCAA? Well, I have to take it back in the context of, of slavery just to make it uncomfortable for everybody because when you have a situation where these players are just doing, doing all this work and they're not getting nothing out of it, and then they're being promised education, and then the, the school has been cheating for 20-plus years. Uh, filtering kids through an African-American studies department so that, you know, they wouldn't question any black athletes going to these these classes because they want to know more about their heritage, but they're not going to any classes. This is a big hoax of the whole American education system when it comes to sports that's making the profit for for the system. So it's just something's got to change. Something's got to give. We're not saying necessarily throw money at the athlete. We're saying if you're going to get, if you're going to promise education, give them education. Give them sports education. Allow allow athletes to get sport, the education of sports. No, you know, I think I think you're absolutely right. And is it, I mean, where do you think this problem is really like? Why can't we seem to move past this? Is it the NCAA? Is it the schools? Is it kind of everybody? I guess it would be everyone who's making money off of this because they don't want to give up. I mean, why would they want to give up their money? Even even if it's unethical, they. I mean, you know, you, they don't want to give up a check just as much as you and I don't want to give up a check. Right, and, and that goes back to the title of my book, Plantation Education. The plantation doesn't want to give up no money. They don't want to give up their slaves because their slaves make money for them. So in order to, to continue making money, the, the farm has to continue to function, and that's how the players continue have to go to school. This is, this is the system. You have to go through the NCAA to get to the NBA or get to the NFL, and every single kid knows that. So they know that they have a reason for being there until somebody knocks them off or they have competition. Man, I, I tell you what, that's probably the most crooked part about it, though, is you, it, basically the only sport that you can just skip is from high school to Major League Baseball. Um, but yeah. even then, you know, you're serving your dues in the minors. But that's the crookedest thing about it is that these leagues have made it so that you have to at least play one year. Well, I, I don't know. I can't remember the exact excuse for them doing that. You know, they're saying it's, in, you know, for the kid or whatever. But, man – that's just – it's forcing the hand of these schools where at least they get you for one year. and There's no way to get around it. Well, just picture them all having a deal with each other. You know, mix it with a TV deal or a broadcasting deal where these kids go to school for one year, build a, re- a reputation for themselves so that they have value when they go professional. So now that they both benefit one year with a primetime five-star athlete, 
And then once once they get to the NBA, the NBA they they profit because this this guy this guy is well known now. He he has a he has a, a big name. He has big value. It makes sense that they would do a partnership. No, you know you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, I'm sure you addressed this in your book, but how do we break this up? I mean, because it's a huge organization, it's hard to fight the people with the money. Well, um, you're talking about breaking it up. You're just talking about creating sports education. We're talking about performance-based requirements, getting rid of the academic requirement where the athlete has to go to class and go to these these courses that he has no interest in, and he really focuses on his sports and his, his performances, and he gets judged upon his performances. And um, I think that, that would be a great scale for coaches to be accountable of being teachers and to be paid accordingly. I mean, and, and, in that, and in that way, I mean, you would almost be creating, I mean, you would just be making your players smarter. So, and, you know, and even getting out of the league, they would know so much more about the sport. It would set a lot of people up to go into coaching positions of all different sorts as well if they weren't pro athletes. Yes, and even be, you know, everybody would be more primed for their job, whether it's front office, whether it's a media broadcasting, whether it's sports medicine, physical therapy, whatever it is, we are all a part of the industry of sports. Why don't we have? Uh, academia for sports. We should have academia for sports. We should have a post-grad for sports. And we should get rid of this whole stigma of people being friends and having, you know, buddy-buddy system and getting hired this way instead of just having certification, setting up a school system that has sports education. You know, I agree 100%. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go ahead, Valerie. Thanks. Um, you know, what I, I used to work for Bill Russell, the, the basketball player, and he had a rule, um, a rule when he was playing that his money, everything he made was put away because I think sports, guys in sports are sometimes they spend the money because they've never had it and all of a sudden they've got millions of dollars and they just blow the whole thing and then when they get older, they don't um, have the nest egg for themselves. Mm-hmm. So my question mm-hmm. is, I mean, I understand what you're saying about, you know, the future jobs in sports, but I mean, I think it's really important to understand finance or at least have some, you know, a little bit of information so that they understand that, you know, in sports you get hurt and then there's, if it's all gone, there's no way to recoup. And, um, I learned that from from Mr. Russell because he um, he saved everything until he got a little older, and then he decided he wanted to start making money off of off of his name. And um, he really, you know, he uh, he got taken advantage of by a lot of his employees um, because I don't think he had the background. And I'm just kind of wondering about what your comments might be about that. Well, I would say that will be exactly what the sports education aspect of the universities would would help the athlete with is budgeting, finances, understanding investments, understanding um, wills and testaments and trusts. That's what my company, what I do personally, my company does as a consultant company, is we walk walk people through these processes. So I just implemented my company overviews into my book 
to say this is this should be something that should be implemented because we all need some type of education in sports so we know how to better our lives down the line when we're done mm-hmm. playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, really important because um, these guys, you know, they put their heart and soul and their bodies into their craft and they, they should be able to live off it. I agree. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And you know what? You have you have all of these stars, you know, that are basically at a college level, and a lot of them, you know, don't always come from the you know the greatest areas, or, or don't come from much money, and you know they can barely feed themselves. So I think that's a big problem. I mean, when you're when you're a superstar and you can barely feed yourself in college. You know, that becomes an issue right there. And you got the coach who's making a couple million a year. And, you know, you're, you're at, basically as a player, you're asked of all of these different things you're supposed to do in order to keep, your, keep yourself in shape, you know, keep yourself, you know, uh, with the curriculum of the team. And, you know, there's no compensation in return. So I think, I think that definitely needs to be addressed. And, you know, um, I really think we're getting closer and closer to start paying uh, college athletes. I think it's, Getting there. What do you think about that, Rashad? Like the the progress. I love the progress. I love the conversations that are being had. I love how LeBron James is getting involved in it. I love how a lot of people are really starting to deem it very important to 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 try to change it or create something new. And I think that's that's what we all here for. You know, we're all here to try to create a better future for for our kids and our their kids and their kids' kids. So. Um, in order to do that, we must start now. We got to start now, and we've already addressed the problem. So it's now it's now it's time to start solving the issue. We start act. We have to start acting. So that's where we are now. A- absolutely, one hundred percent. And you know, um, are you um, are you putting any you know sort of uh, groups like lobbying groups or anything like that together? Uh, you know, getting to some of these college boards and stuff like you know, kind of getting the message out and kind of, you know, trying to maybe push the uh, the agenda faster and tr- kind of getting it on the move a little bit more? Well, the first step was the book. You know, it's only been out a couple of weeks, so we want to be able to circulate the book and promote it as much as possible so that people understand what message we're going to be delivering. So you don't want to just ram things down people down people's throats and, and, and demand that they listen to you because it's important. You want to soften them up and understand that the things that they're seeing on a day-to-day basis, the things that are keep popping up in the news every day about, you know, the college uh, sports uh, frauds and all the different investigations, there are things that are wrong and things that need to change. And the more awareness that we give to it, that's when we can start doing the lobbying. That's when we can start building the facilities and making real change. Absolutely. And, you know, um, a good friend of mine and uh, one of my business partners is actually Steve Campbell, uh, the big professional sports trainer out of Los Angeles. He says he actually knows you really well. Yeah, I used to to train with Steve. That's my guy. Yeah, yeah. Me and Steve are working on right now. We're building a uh, big facility for athletes. Um, and we're, we're going to put it like in the uh, either the Vegas area or, or in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And we're, we're doing a lot of big stuff. So, um, I'll definitely, uh, you know, uh, tell Steve to uh, hit you up at some point. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's going back to this, though, real quick. Um, you know, with, with this whole college scenario, 
what was your personal experience? Like, I know obviously with, with the academic stuff, you know, there, there was stuff there that, um, you know, they, they had obviously people on the side that offered to do players' homework, players' homework, but like, oh, an overall experience as a college player with North Carolina, you know, playing for Roy Williams, playing in this environment, you know, how, how was it all for you? Like, can you, can you describe it? I mean, were you comfortable? Was it um, a scenario that uh, you'll always, you know, forever cherish and great memories or were, were there some up and downs? Well, definitely up and down, but uh, when you think about the college experience just by itself as a student, you know, yeah. just without playing basketball as a student, just the interaction with other people, your peers, parties, and just, you know, the quad and all that kind of stuff, that's something that, you know, I think everybody should, you know, experience at some point. But then when you add that, the basketball side to it, you're talking yeah. about walking on campus like God, like, you know, we were adored. So it gave me a whole different side of confidence, <clears throat> you know, that I still live with today. So um, that that was a part of the experience that I do cherish. They gave me all the confidence that I have today that was much needed. And, and what what is it like, Rod, the feeling of walking on that court for the first time in a North Carolina jersey knowing that Michael Jordan walked on that floor and, and, and made, you know, college basketball miracles on that court happen. I mean, is it like, is it like a surreal feeling? Like, do you get that sort of like goosebumps and you're just like, wow. Like, is it, were you in awe for a little bit? To be honest with you, man, that was the whole reason I went to North Carolina. I, I could have went to any university I want. I wanted, I was number one in the, in the class. So, I chose North Carolina because Michael Jordan went there. He was the greatest, and I was trying to be better than him. So whenever I stepped on the floor, I never got those goosebumps because I had, I was on a mission, and whoever was in front of me was going to be destroyed. So my goal was to get my jersey in the rafters next to his, and it's just slightly behind his. So you know I'm cool with that. You've 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 done a you've done a you know you've led a a hell of a life and. You know, I do want to talk about something that, you know, bothers me on, on what they did to you in terms of uh, for, for, with your contract stuff. But first of all, Josh, go ahead. I know you have some thoughts. Go ahead on that. Yeah, you know, just just talking about your pursuit of greatness is something I feel like that, you know, a lot of people understand in sports, you know, everybody's trying for a goal of, you know, there's a clear goal you want to win the championship or, you know, there's clear statistics and whatnot. But can you talk about, I feel like for a lot of people, especially the ones that don't go pro that are, that are college athletes, a lot of them get out of school and they don't really know, you know, what on earth they're going to do with themselves. Obviously your program would help with that. But I guess talk about, talk about that, tell it a little bit more about how that would specifically help, you know, these kids who aren't going to go pro that then could, you're, going, you're basically preparing them for success in a way. Right, right, right. What we're doing is we're creating a whole new economic market of entrepreneurs and uh, valuable workers who are uh, very informative on their on their craft, which is sports. So we're we're opening the market for more broadcasters. We're opening the market for more sports trainers and um, the, uh, player development coaches, assistant coaches, scouting. Like, these are all jobs that are now no longer have to be given out to the ball boys and, and the people who are just there because they're there and, and they, they happen to have an opening. This is how things have been happening in the college realm for years. 
So now if we if we establish this, it gives the players who really are not going to be the five star athletes. They're going to be the ones that are going to be the the the, the experts in in the, in the crowd. They'll be the Stephen A. Smiths and and the Skip Baylesses, the guys who actually went to college and played. They weren't really that good, but they know the game. They were actually there. I love that. Absolutely. That's a good. That's a good call. I love. I love that. Um, wow. I, I love that. And you know, I, I want to. You know, and, th- and this is really. This is really pivotal. What you're doing. Because actually, hold on. I think Michael has a quick question. Michael, go ahead. You have a question. Um, I just you know I I think really I have a statement. I believe everybody that's playing out there on their field is supposed to get paid. Um, I, I was listening to you. Uh, I'm proud to, to meet you, sir. And um, nice to meet you as well. Nice I, to meet you as well. Yes, sir. I'm just I, I just pray that. Uh, I think that's almost basically slavery because what if you're not good enough to be without their plan and then you don't make the pros so you don't get paid and all these guys becoming millionaires, I think that's absolutely ludicrous. But um, personally, that changes and uh, I wish the best of luck to you because I really don't have any presence because I know you are, you're successful. But we got a lot of brothers that never make the pro or break a, break a knee or, or, or incapacitated and it got no compensation. It's, that's totally, totally insane. Anyway, totally, totally. Like I, said, I agree. Blacks with Trump, glad to meet you. Everything. I'm sorry I came in late. I don't know if y'all talked about the Colin Kaepernick thing or not, but if you did. No, we, have, have we haven't got, we haven't got to that yet. No, no. Hold, I want to. I want to. You know, I want to ask you something real quick. Um, he, this is very important, uh, Rashad. So, you know how, you know, you could have easily played for many more years in the NBA. Let's face the facts. You were a great. You were, uh, uh, you know, an average. You were a good player in the NBA. I mean, you were above. I would say above average. You were a good player for the Wolves, and you know, I was. I watch. You know, your past interviews and different stuff like that. Um, and, you know, you talk about how you really think you were blackballed out of the NBA, which you have a really good and logical point. You, you look at the scenario. <laughs> you were at, your, your numbers were way more than what, you know, I think you could have got paid more than what you were saying. You were saying, you know, in a, in a, um, um, in a modest, ballpark, you know, you got screwed out of, you know, another possibly three, three year, 10 million per year deal, which would have been 30, 30 million altogether, you know, um, extra, um, you cleared that up uh, on a sports network. They, they thought originally that you said you got screwed out of 70 million, but what you meant to say was you got screwed out of potentially most likely getting another 30 million on top of that contract, another contract, I mean, but there's a few things that you talked about being you being black being blacklisted um and, and being totally screwed out of the NBA and um you know totally I, I don't know what happened and you also said dating Chloe dating Chloe Kardashian kind of put an image on you that you did not want and po- could have possibly got to the GMs and people inside the staff at the Minnesota Timberwolves which 
maybe gave them some sort of um, decision, uh, you know, to not renew your contract. You also talked about possibly, uh, like we, like you said on the show, you're not going to name names, but you know, uh, there's certain, there's certain, a certain all star uh, that you think it was that kept you out of the NBA. But speak on that a little bit. <laughs> Man. That was a lot. That was a lot. I know. That was a lot. I know. <laughs> all right. So let's just get it all straight in the air. Um, blacklisted, being blackballed, being on the outside, being exiled. These things exist. Um, if you remember Chris Jackson, um, uh, Mahmoud Raouf. Um, he yeah. was blacklisted for, you know, Muslim beliefs and so on and so forth. Craig Hodges was blacklisted for um, certain beliefs. You know, certain people get certain certain stigmas on them, whether it's bad coaching or um, uh, bad attitude or bad teammate, whatever whatever have you. It kind of sticks with you, and everybody's repeating it to everyone else. So as you as you as you start to try to establish yourself and reestablish yourself and try to make new friends with people who have this already preconceived notion of you, it's hard to keep trying to battle those, fight those battles with those people. So, you know, after a while, they get tired of you, you get tired of them, and your name stopped being appreciated. And for me, my name stopped being appreciated just because of the rumors that were flying around from people who didn't want to see me win, people who wanted to see me fail, people who wanted to see me fall, who wanted to see me homeless, who wanted to see me begging for my job back. And that never happened. And they and they're never gonna get they're never gonna get me to do that. And that's why I'm here on this show talking with you about my book, Plantation Education. You can get it on Amazon dot com. Yeah. And you know, going back to this real quick, you know, these people that you know, these rumors that the rumors that were going around, like what kind of stuff? Give me an example. Um that um, um, I was a porn star, I did drugs, um, I hung with an entourage, I drank too much, had a drinking problem, uh, a lot of things, man. Things are just, out, out, just outrageous things. And, and, and I remember, started hearing, oh, yeah, keep, keep going, sorry. The more that I started to hear them and started to trace back where the source was, I started finding out that it became more and more from one place because I only played for one one place for the majority of my career. So if you played for the Minnesota Timberwolves for four years and all these rumors are about you coming out of nowhere, no one wants to tell you where it's coming from, you know it's only coming from one place. Absolutely. Um, you know, and you make you make a good point there. And here's here's what, you know, bothers me is that, you know, I get I get in a job and in a profession, you know, these leagues and, and these managers have expectations for the players. But I think the expectations in a lot of ways are over the top. I mean, you know, I, I don't know all the inside details, but you know, they're you know, just I'll give you an example. In people's own personal life, you know, what, where they decide to go and party, where they decide to go out and hang out, where they decide to, you know, uh, what they do. I mean, it's like the league is so focused on that. And I've always said, as long as they're not causing any problems, I mean, you guys, 
you know, should not, you know, be uh, monitoring that. I mean, as long as they're minding their own business. And you, you made a point where, you know, getting involved with the Kardashians, you know, when you were in your career and, you know, getting involved with that whole reality, you know, reality show when they were making up certain story plots, especially when they said that you cheated on Chloe, but that never happened, which you had said in an interview that never happened. And that was just all scripted, which we know the Kardashians are scripted, but, and you also said playing in a city like Minnesota that's not used to a place like Hollywood, it's quite a, a, a like polar opposites. I mean, it's like apples and oranges. So, you know, what, what I'm trying to get to here is, A, I don't think it's necessary for the leagues to get involved with people's personal lives unless they're causing a problem. And B, uh, you know, it, it's this life, though. It, it explain, you know, kind of explain it to me on, you know, how you were looked at in a different sort of light and in sort of a different way because of this? Well, I mean, I'll just give you the skinny. The skinny is when I was dating Chloe, I had a meeting yeah. with the coach, and the coach said that he was getting calls on his desk about my girlfriend and me being seen with her in Vegas, and – I need to figure it out. And I asked him, I was like, man, I don't understand how this has anything to do with the game and how I only played seven minutes. And he was like, well, maybe maybe you should focus on the game and not be focusing on your girl and all this. And so I said whatever. And from that moment forward, I didn't play anymore for 17 games, and then I was traded. And so that's when I knew that it was more than basketball. And I was dealing with something that I couldn't fight by myself. And I had I haven't been able to fight with anyone else since. It's been a long fight ever since that day when I got benched and then I got traded and then my career was pretty much over from there. And so 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 let me let me get this story straight. Going back just a second. So you sat down with your coach and who was your coach at the time? Kevin McHale. Okay, yes, that's why I figured it was. So you sit down, you sit down with the coach, and he gives you, you know, you know, sort of, is it like a lecture, like a kind of a pep talk? Because I know you guys had was, your issues. I know he wasn't was, the nicest person. No, to you. no, you know, he we, he drafted me, so we were always cool. And then he got the job to coach, so it was different once he started coaching and then it became a thing once he found out who I was dating. And it was like, they made me bigger than the team. And so it became like, they were giving me all this attention. And it was like, anytime she popped up, she came in town, there was all these ways of teaching. So when that, when that became a problem, when he said that to me, I was irritated. Like, why are you keep, why do you keep talking about this? This shouldn't be a big deal. Y'all making it a big deal. And then, you know, from there, it was they just wanted to, I guess they wanted to go in a different direction. You know, there was never anything that I did personally to anybody to, you know, warrant that kind of treatment. So I just understood that was just a part of the business at that time. And then, so, you know, you know at, that, at that point, you know, you played 17 games, then you were traded, taking to the Sacramento Kings. That's correct? Correct. And... So did did all of this, you know, once you started getting benched, is that is that when you were done done with Chloe? Yes. In, in Minnesota. Yes. 
Yes. Okay, so once you got traded to Sacramento, what what was that sort of atmosphere like? Like what what was the whole culture there? I mean, how did you fit in? I mean, did you did you like it better than Minnesota? I'm gonna be honest with you. It was a it was a, a breath of fresh air. First of all, I wanted to start new yeah. and wanted to have a new a new culture, a new concept. But then again, they were the worst team in the league. They were dead last, far far last. And they were dis- they were pretty discombobulated amongst each other. So yeah. you know, I pretty much was going into a tornado. So you know, just to survive two 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 months. And try to revive my career from there. The, the the reputation damage was already done, so it was, it was very hard from there. No, I hear you. And then, so you play there until for a few years, and then you head overseas. And and what what was the you know experience like overseas? You know, compared to the NBA. I mean, can you? I know it's a lot different, but uh, you know, what what were your thoughts on it? It's not the NBA. <laughs> That's really it's the only the thought that everybody everybody needs to know. That that's the only thing they need to know. It's not the NBA. If you if if, if you want to play American basketball, stay in America. That's the difference. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And and that you know you make a good point right there. In the back of someone's mind, it's always going to be this is not if they're a professional player. Well, I'm blessed to be playing over here overseas, but this isn't the NBA. This isn't my all-time dream. This isn't what you know right. where I want to be. You know what I mean? It's, but um, you know the you know what's interesting. What you're doing right now, which I love, is the you were the number you were the number one draft pick this year for the Big Three for Ice Cube's new uh, basketball league. Well, it's been out a few years, um, but uh, you know you were kind of talking about that and. Um, I read in an article, you know, you really, you know, felt at home and, and really felt such a huge relief and, and kind of, uh, you know, back uh, in your in your prime days again with, with that whole uh, moment. Uh, can you explain that for me? Yeah, man, it's an opportunity with Big 3, IQ, Jeff Quatnick. Um, We're on Fox Live on Friday night. Like, who could ask for a bigger platform to be a part of something like that? And they've uh, pretty much deemed me the star and kind of like the face of the big three. So, you know, to have that type of privilege to be able to to really showcase, you know, my character and my personality and uh, who I am and, and be able to just go play basketball and do what I love and still promote my businesses. The, the platform allows us to do so much. There's no real restrictions. There's a lot of freedoms of what we want to do. So everybody should yeah. be checking out and looking forward to checking out Big Three, Season Three coming this summer. Yeah, and you know, you know, you you just made a point saying that you know, kind of the the leeway and kind of the leniency and not as many rules. Um, what compared to the NBA in this league, uh, is it night and day compared to what what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do? Kind of, sort of, man, but, um, I mean, you expect everything to evolve, so I don't expect it to be the same. I expect it to change, but it's never going to be like it used to be. Right, right. And, you know, I, I, I've i heard you say lately, uh, there was there were some interviews that, 
you're pushing for an NBA comeback. You want to come back to the NBA. <laughs> I don't know what interview you heard that at. <laughs> I heard no, that. I heard that a little. This was about a year ago, and you said you still maybe had it in you. If I was not mistaken, that you know you kind of still thought you could compete at that level, and we're trying to put you know try to make for a comeback. Yeah, I was. That was after you know we won the big three, ten and zero, and I hit the game winning shot, and you know that whole thing went down, and I sat around and I you know trained and I waited for you know opportunity. And, you know, that was the last time that I really sat around and waited for any of that stuff to happen. I mean, my reputation is too way too far gone, you know, for, for any NBA team to take a chance on a 34-year-old, 33-year-old dude. So I, I wasn't expecting none of that to happen. My prime is, you know, pretty much gone. They they stepped all those like those, those lives out of my out of my career. So, you know, we're here now, big three. We're here with the plantation education book. No worries. Yeah, and um, you know, talk about your teammates. Do you do you ever talk to uh, anybody from your UNC days or Timberwolves days or uh, any of your uh, keep any close relationships with those guys? No, man, I don't. No, I'm not. I'm not one of those traditional college teammate guys. I guess you know, I just go in and have my experiences with those guys and go on about life and keep it pushing. If I run into them. It's either, you know, hey or hey or not hey, you know, whatever it is. But uh, I'm just out here living my best life, really. No, no, I, I absolutely hear you 100%. And, you know, um, this new league, I uh, this big three, I, I really think it has a lot of potential. I think it's going to, you know, go places. I think there's much opportunity. And, and I like the fact that it gives guys that are not no longer in the NBA – Still, you know, they they get to play longer. They get to have fun. They get to, you know, uh, experience, uh, you know, that that life, you know, uh, still in a sense. And um, you know, I think it's a really good uh, gig that, that that they put together. Um, and you know, with, with with this whole scenario with the big three, um, I, I just see it as just something that's going to keep growing and growing. I mean, there's um, there's unlimited opportunity. If you look at the players that are playing in the league, I mean, you got so many big names and so many worthy, uh, notable icons. I agree. I agree. I agree. It's something to look out for. It's something everybody should be uh, keeping 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 their radar. And um, you know, all the memorabilia opportunities there are to get autographs from your favorite players, your Hall of Fame players. Had a lot of value opportunities for that, and just seeing good, good quality basketball. It's all, it's all in for the entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, uh, yeah, it's, and that's, that's really cool. I really like that. And you know, um, I want to ask some stories about Ice Cube. What, what was it like meeting Ice Cube for the first time? I know he's hilarious and he's so talented, and he's got. I mean, there's so many things that that guy's accomplished in his life. Yeah, Ice Cube, man, it was dope, man. Um, just to get meet, getting to meet him and being a fan of all his movies and stuff and his music. And uh, just like anybody else, just like anybody else, it's always cool to meet, you know, guys who are accomplished and successful and have, you know, done all the things they wanted to do and willing to give back and help other people. I'm all about meeting those kind of people. Right, right. And did, did you have a lot of, did you have some questions for him just about NWA and, 
you know, uh, things that you grew up watching and, you know, his music that you listened to? I mean, I, I would have so many damn questions for that guy. Oh, man, no, nah, nah, I, I don't even be getting into the questions, man, but uh, I kind of already know his story and I'm familiar with it. So he's just an inspiration, he's an inspiration just as a black man, just making moves in Hollywood, getting it done. And just being able to be successful is that's enough. Just being around that is cool enough for me. Absolutely, and I'm sure you've got to meet so many different, uh, you know, people uh, through this big three league. Um, you know, there, there's so many, you know, uh, big names attached to it. So a lot of new faces you're meeting, huh? No, not at all, man. I know I've known these people pretty much, you know, all my adulthood since Nike camp and high school. We've all been around each other for a long time, so uh, familiar with especially the legends during during years in the NBA, man. When you, when you're in a certain fraternity, you know everybody, and everybody knows you. Right, right, right. And who is on your team right now? Uh, Al Harrington and James White so far. Okay, cool. And very nice. Okay. And uh the the um so when when does this start for everybody that does not know? Um, the league starts back up next June. June um twenty second, next June twenty second. And it goes all summer for the for the most part. About two months, about ten weeks, yeah. we do ten ten different cities, ten stores. Very nice. But yep, and that's what I figure, too. It, it goes most of the summer. And, um, yeah, I, I really like what you're doing. And, you know, going back to this book real quick, um, and you were talking about your consulting group. So with with your whole consulting group, actually, I, I am going to get to that. Jo- Josh, go ahead. You had a question. Yeah, yeah, you know. I just want to talk a little bit before we moved on about the three on three. What made you kind of decide to do that? Because obviously, you know, you love playing basketball. This is kind of something that really hadn't been done before. To, it's, I mean, you're creating a genre. What made you decide that you want to pursue something like this? Well, for one, I'm a creator. I'm an I'm inventor, um, and I'm, I believe in ideas. So I wanted to test it out and see how I would feel with professional athletes out there. So, when we were able to do the test run and get the feel of it and get the rules, you know, situated, it made sense. And uh, just to be back on the national stage again, that was what I wanted. When you're blackballed, people don't want to interview you. People don't want to talk to you. People don't want to see you. But when you're on a grand scale, you're on a national stage, they have to see you. They have to talk to you. They have to interview you. So it forced people to come talk to me. It forced me to be back in everyone's faces. So it forced me to be intimidating, and it forced everybody to be uncomfortable when I walk in the room. That gives me power. I love it. So I continue to do that and look forward look forward to it every summer. Every summer I look forward to getting power from people who are intimidated by me because they did me wrong. I love it. And, you know, how much does that – how much? How happy does it make you when that you know that you can walk out there and be in the spotlight that, you know, even some of the people that, you know, put – threw shade on you in the past aren't on even now. You know, some of them, some of the people I'm sure have, you know, faded into the shadows, so to speak. And the fact that you're still, you know, the spotlight's right on you. How does that make you feel? Man, it makes me feel like we don't stop grinding. We keep grinding no matter what. No matter who's trying to bring you down. No matter who's trying to bury you, you keep grinding. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, 
you know, and that's that's one of the always the things that you know. I don't know if you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is at all, but something that guy always says is you always bet on the jockey and not the horse. So you know, and for him, you don't bet on the company; you bet on the person that's running the company. So you know, that's I feel like that's something that a lot of people, you know, uh, obviously mistook about you that you know, even though the horse might have been a little weird at times, the jockey was always the same in you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, you make a great point, Josh. Very well said. Um, real quick, Valerie, and then uh, I'm gonna, I want to move on. I want to talk about this consulting business with him real quick before he goes. I um, want to change the subject just a tiny bit. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not a big sports um, – I don't have a lot of knowledge about sports except soccer because all four of my boys play soccer. But I, I have opinions about patriotism. And it's been a big discussion in my home about um, standing for the flag. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. I mean, I, I think everybody in basketball has always stood for the flag, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. There's, yeah, always. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, what is different about basketball than, you know, football where, you know, it's a whole different uh, um I guess the owners of these of these clubs are allowing the players to do as they wish, um, but I don't really understand. You know, for me, if I owned a club and I was patriotic, I would tell them, "Look, you're working for me at this moment. This is what what you need to do to represent this club." But on your own time, you know, of course, you have freedom of speech. So I guess I just wanted to hear what your thoughts are on that because. You know, as a leader in in your field, uh, not only in basketball but now in your consulting, um, I think you know who the players are as role models for the next generation is a really important part of of any kind of sport. Well, I'll start with this. Um, would you would you would you like anyone forcing anything upon you? That's a Double-edged question. Um, Are you, you talking about the something Kavanaugh on... hearings again? <laughs> no, 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 we're not talking politics. We're not talking politics. No politics. I'm, I'm joking, about, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm joking. I'm talking about the fact that, you know, if, if patriotism is about standing for the flag and if you're a boss and you're telling me that I'm demanding that you stand for the flag or you're going to be fired, like that's not patriotism. That's a dictatorship. That's not freedom of speech or freedom of whatever you want to do. That's a dictatorship. That's not what America was built on. So if America is patriotism is being questioned with the murders of innocent black men through the hands of police, then America should question its patriotism by not questioning the police who are killing these unarmed men. So the protest starts with questioning all of the patriots who are allowing these things to happen when they can step in so we are not disrespecting the patriots for not stepping in. So I believe that there is a two-edged sword there because if you're going to kneel for something and protest for something bigger and everyone thinks that it's about patriotism, then you look at just forcing someone to do something. That's a dictatorship. That's something that we talk about back in the day where, you know, World War One and Two happened. 
Well, I didn't okay. really mean it as a political question, more as um, a corporate question, because um, the fan, a lot of the fans were unhappy, and it, and it, for the bottom line of a corporation, it, it affects that. So, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree or agree with whether someone wants to stand or not stand, unless I own the, own the firm or the company, but. But I'm saying basketball in your in your industry that's never been a discussion. Everybody just decided to stand, right? Right. So the reason yeah. why there's never been a discussion is because there's never been a question raised for anything in in basketball. And and if you really think about it, there's been there's never been any real leaders, political leaders that are really going to stand for anything in basketball. So you know you can wear mm-hmm. I can't breathe shirt. Or you can, you know, wear some different colors or some shoes or say something on them. But when it comes to standing for something and protesting, Colin Kaepernick is the closest athlete due to the other athletes before him that's actually done something, like, action-wise. Like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to stick with it, and I'm going to go all the way down with it. Everyone else tiptoes around it. So you're not going to see basketball players doing that. They got too much to lose. The owners own them. Plantation education. The owners own them, so they don't have any say. When the owners say, "Don't kneel," if you kneel, you'll lose your scholarship. You'll, you'll lose your contract. Do you think any of those players are going to kneel? No. That's why they haven't, because the NFL is, has 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 spanked the hand hard enough to show every other sport that if you kneel, there's going to be a consequence. Because patriotism is stronger than justice. Hmm. Patriotism is stronger than justice. I I mean I mm-hmm. I know I agree I acknowledge you know there is a big there's a problem with police brutality absolutely. I you know my myself you know I'm not going to get too much into politics you know right now but myself I would stand myself. But I can, you know, I'm trying to be an open-minded person, and and I am an open-minded person. I can see why certain people feel in their mind, like, you know, just what, with the way, with where they come, you know, just where they come from, what they stand for, uh, how they do things. Certain people do things differently. Certain people have ways of coping with things. Certain people have ways of living their lives. Certain people have, you know, uh, different uh, things that they do, um, but you know, I, I don't necessarily think um, it, it's something that I could hate on a, a player for. Um, you, know, you know, this in this country, it is uh, we are entitled to freedom of speech, um, but at the same time, uh, you know, everybody, uh, like I said, uh, everybody has their own opinion. Uh, we don't know what it's like to walk in other people's shoes. We can't, you know, and I and I want to say this: that it's hard to put myself in, in anyone else's shoes but my own. So when I when I see people, you know, um, protesting, I guess it's a thought of, you know, it's something I would I, I I would stand, but that doesn't mean that you know what they're doing is necessarily wrong or makes them a bad person. Um, you know, I just there's a lot to this. It, but you know what well, I just mean, imagine, right? just imagine, just just imagine these people are standing up for what they believe in, regardless on what yes. protest it is. 
So just imagine right. if you had something drastically go wrong in your life or somebody took right. advantage of you in a way where you needed people to go out there and help you and say, man, this is enough is enough. Imagine, imagine if your your niece or somebody gets raped, or you got a sex offender in that in that community, and you want him out, and it's like, what do you? Who, you're gonna look around, and you're gonna be like, well, no one wants to help me. It's like because you didn't help anyone when they needed help. When we were trying to protest for us, now you need help, and you're looking at us like we're the assholes. How? If we're humanity, if we're all one people, if we all men are, if we are men and women. How can we disrespect each other when it comes to just justice, when it comes to fairness and righteousness? Like, it's right to do right, and it's wrong to do wrong. That's very simple. Absolutely. People are unhappy. I don't think people are unhappy. Real quick, I want to say one thing. I want to say one one thing real quick. Um, um, What's important, what I want to say, Rashad, is that yes, there's there's lots of police brutality. There's a lot of good cops, but there's also lots of bad cops. I mean, not lots of bad cops, but there's a fair share of bad cops. I've seen, you know, a fair share of bad cops in my life, but I've seen lots of good cops as well. Mm-hmm. My point is, we, this is a problem, police brutality. But the media, if you look at what the media has done in certain aspects, they have kind of, you know, certainly um, in ways kind of uh, – what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? And mis, misled, misled certain situations. There's a lot of situations where innocent black people are getting killed by cops. Absolutely. But there's also certain media outlets that stir the pot and like to push the envelope uh, before, before certain facts are put on the table. But there's a lot of facts that back up police brutality as well. I'm just saying I think the media instigates certain things that uh, sometimes are t- – uh, you know, sometimes not read right or not, um, you know, uh, you know, just not um, completely uh, the truth. Well, I can give you a scenario that makes sense for everybody. When Obama yeah. was in office, when Obama was in office, a lot of the black, the black um, unarmed men were getting killed and getting shot down at an alarming rate. This is when he was in office before Donald Trump. This is when the race war started to happen with the Ferguson thing and the Baltimore thing. This is when the real races and the, the, the real uh, tension started to build, right? So as yeah. it started to de as it started to de-escalate, in comes Donald Trump. Now Donald Trump has no chance to be Hillary Clinton unless he pulls in Middle America. Now if he pulls in Middle America, the media is going to have a field day because the tension has been boiling for another race war. So what it does is Donald Trump's only chance to win is to bring in middle America. You can't knock a businessman for making that decision, but it fits his profile. So if he can bring them in, get the win, that's manipulating America right in front of your eyes, right in front of your eyes. And so how can we be mad at that when this is just the reality of how things work, when people take advantage of other people? Um, Josh, go ahead. I know you have thoughts. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, you know, I would say, shoot, I mean, that's kind of how politics works, though. I mean, you're manipulated. You're trying to manipulate the people to vote for you. A lot of it's not even convincing, you know, anymore. But, you know, I see I see what you're saying. I guess, is there a reason, you know, because you'd think when Obama was president that a race war, you know, 
would not have been started, you know, things would have been quote unquote fixed. You know, a black man yeah, yeah. became mm-hmm. president. But what, what, why, I guess, why did that stuff continue? Well, what it did when he became president is it, it, it eased the tension of a revolution, something that was about to happen. So when he was elected, all of the black people calmed down and we felt like we had received our savior. We got our guy. We got a black president. We can start doing things for us. Eight years later, it's like, okay, we got more more black people are dying at the hands of cops. Less black people have these jobs opportunities. All these numbers and statistics of things that are going less in our favor. But then, you you know, this, this Ferguson stuff starts to happen and all this race stuff starts to happen. And then, like, we're trying to look, we're like, oh, we don't have another Obama coming. We don't got Obama for another four years now. Like, what are we going to do? We got to depend, are we going to depend on Hillary or Donald Trump? How does he become a candidate? Okay, oh, well, no way he wins. No way Donald Trump wins, but then he does. And now we're, we're stuck in a situation where everyone's like, oh, we hate the president. You're just going to have to deal with it like you, deal, like you had to deal with George Bush, like you had to deal with Reagan and everyone else. Yeah, and, you know, just to speak to that, I think you just said something that really matters there. I think when people – there's a lot of people in this country, and not just when Trump got elected, when Obama got elected, when Bush got elected, just like you were talking about. There's a lot of people that think that who's in that office is going to keep them from getting theirs, so to speak. If you think right. that the president is going to stop you from getting yours, it, that's a problem. Unless that president is really outreaching you know, uh, her, his or hers you know, um, you know, jurisdiction and really going against the law of this country, unless they're doing that, you got to go get yours regardless of who, who's, who the president is, who the governor of your state is, who anything. I agree 100%. And if you think about the foundations of what this, what this country is built on after slavery was abolished, everyone was free. So if everyone's free, we all have the opportunity to come from nothing and to get everything. So when when America became that aspect for all people, we gotta we gotta understand how to advance ourselves. It's been a hard road for black people and it's gonna continue to to, to, to be stressful at times. But we are so far along than where we were before when we were first free. So it's like now everyone can understand we are we are the only people holding us back. No one else is holding us back. This is a free market. We can all get a business plan, go on LegalZoom, start a business, start making money, and become a millionaire next week. You have the ability to do that. That's called being in America. Yeah. you got to take no, advantage you're, of you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you know, the ability just to be able to go get yours and not worry about you know, what other people have to say about it, it's a mentality. I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a confident mentality. And I think that's also what, what everything is built on, the foundation of. So if everybody can stop complaining about what they don't have and, and what they want to change and what they won't fix and want to be given, instead create your own reality. And that's what I wanted to do with the book. I wanted to create a reality where force education existed where athletes no longer are going into situations where they don't know what, what's, what's happening, the numbers, they don't know contracts, they don't know how to read right. this, read that. We want to evaporate right. all these situations. But we have to be creative in order to do that. Yeah. We have to be confident. So if you're not confident, yeah. 
You don't belong in America because America is for hustlers. It's for capitalists. We're trying to capitalize on opportunity. And, you know, I, Josh, you, Josh, finish off. I know you want to finish off your thought, and then I have a question for Rashad. Yeah, you know, the last thing, you know, and this is something I try to tell people a lot, um, especially if, if it's, you know, any of the, the guys I play basketball with, you know, especially a lot of my Hispanic friends. You know, if anybody that looks like you has ever made it, that means you can too in America, and that's the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes for all cultures and all, all walks of life. If you if someone that looks like you can make it, you can too, for sure. No doubt about it. Yeah, and you know, I wanna Yeah, go ahead, Valerie. Go ahead. After, go ahead. Okay. Um I just wanted to say that I think well, two things. One is that I, I know that um black unemployment now is the lowest it's ever been. And I, I think a lot of that is because Huh? I was, I was going to bring Sorry. that up, but, yeah, go ahead. I, it, because, I think a lot of the reasons that it's lower is because um, of empowerment, and I think people like you have given um, people opportunities because you've made it, and, and to bring other people up, um, I think now is the time, and I think that it's really it, it's an amazing thing that you, you're willing you know, to go out on a limb in a completely different direction than what you were doing before and show people that you can start over and you can still be successful and you can still help other people to come up where you are. And I think that tells a lot about your character. I appreciate that. And that's one of the goals, you know, um, that we want to lead into with the book is understanding and helping people understand you can be an owner. Everyone is not fit to work. Some people like working. Some people like controlling. Some people like directing. Some people right. like actually being being a part of the project, right? So if you don't have the opportunities to be this, you need to step away from your job and you should say, what do I want to do that's going to make me happy? What is it that I love to do that it makes me smile, that I really like, I want to be around this the rest of my life? And then let's, go, let's, let's start this business. Let's, let's start the plan. Let's get the logo. Let's just create the LLC. Let's tackle the market. Let's teach you how to become a business owner. Now, that operation for me was most important because it's what's missing in America is the ownership. That's why we are outsourcing so many jobs. That's why this, so, this dangerous slogan, make America great again, is the most misunderstood term ever because making America great again is basically saying giving all the jobs back to all the American people, stop outsourcing to all these other people who don't live here or don't have cars or whatever, whatever. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. If you would rather keep your business in your family or you would rather let your family outsource. Some people believe in other things. Some people do. We're a traditional country. So it's a problem right now with that term because people don't understand making America great is giving everybody opportunity to be, uh, to be workers or owners, giving yourself the opportunity to come from nothing to be something. Everybody's getting all riled up over this term, and it's just stupid. It makes everyone look ignorant. Yeah, well, well said. I hear you absolutely. Uh, Valerie, you want to respond? No, I I agree with you, and I I think that the more um, successful people that stand up and and try to bring people along with them 
and encourage like you do, like you when you in your book and the way that you're speaking, I think it's an amazing, you know, it's beautiful because you, you've made it and you want to help others. Um, and, I, you know, that's actually I think you're, you're quite unique. Thank you so much. I praise you as well. <laughs> and, and Rashad, it, so I, I really praise and, and give you so much, uh, you know, thanks and, and love for what you're doing for these players. And I want to tell you why. It's because there's been several documentaries. There's been several books of, I think, the percentage rate of uh, NBA players that uh, lose their fortune uh, when they're retired. I think it's, what is it, like 70% or something I think I was reading? Yeah. Like some yeah. some crazy astronomical number of how these players go broke because they've never known what it's like to be in that life, making millions of dollars, you know, having all of these fancy cars, all the women around, everything they ever wanted. I mean, and, you know, you're putting these players in a position where they can properly invest their money, they can be led the right way, they're not going to be taken advantage of, they're not going to be, you know, put with the wrong crowd or get caught up. Asking you a question. Did you personally get involved with some of, of the wrong financial people? Were you in the NBA? Is that what kind of influenced you to do this? Um, explain that a little bit. Absolutely. I'm 100% testimony of everything that I talk about. So I've definitely dealt with three or four different shady financial advisors that robbed more than a million, a million two from me. Um, and then you got just family expenses. You got your your own desires and expenses. You got your friends. You got your girls. I mean, these are things that need to be addressed before you get turned a professional. Before you become millions, millions and millions, you should be able to handle thousands. You should become a thousandaire before you become a millionaire. And I think that's what we're striving for with the compensation. Give the kids the education to handle the money while they're in college by the time they're in the professionals, they'll understand how to budget and how to dictate their own money and invest it and know where, what it is to be in the stock market and be a real American. Yeah, well, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, it, it's also about life after the NBA because a lot of these guys, when they get out of the league, they're still in their, late, you know, sometimes late 20s, early 30s, still pretty much got their whole lives ahead of them. So, it's it's planning for the future. I mean, it's it's giving them opportunities that they would have never had, perhaps, you know, ha- had they, you know, not been around, you know, people that were, uh, you know, putting them on the right path. Yeah, all of these situations are, are, are gratitude situations, especially when you're a kid from the slums and all you can do is shoot the ball. And so you get this coach come to your house and he tells you that you got a great jump shot and you can make mo- you can make millions like Michael Jordan. All you gotta come, all you gotta do is come to our school and play for us for a year. Like that's a no brainer. Like these kids have nothing; they'll jump at anything. So just to be targeted, it's a gratitude. That's why all of the, that's why none of these athletes would ever come forward and turn again because they don't feel that their value is at a point where the university should be grateful. And that's where I reach. I reach the point where North Carolina should be grateful I attended that university because I made them millions of dollars. They would have never got that money if it wasn't for me. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. 
you as a player, you know, especially you're talking about UNC, how you made UNC a bunch of money, right? Right. And that goes back to the whole thing. When you're a player in college making these organizations all this money and you're not getting anything return, in return, it's, it's fucked up. It's messed up. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole taking advantage. They're totally taking advantage of these young kids. And, you know, in your book, it, you know, it sounds like you put this in the, in the exact perspective. Yeah, and that's what we want to do. We want to stop. We want to stop people from allowing things to happen, man. We all sitting around. We keep seeing and saying that we know this stuff happens. It's just a part of what it is. But kids are being hurt. It's a genocide of the knowledge. The brain is being deteriorated from these kids. They're pretty soon. They're not going to want to learn nothing. They're not going to want to read. They're not going to want to know how to speak. Then you're really going to have zombie workers. Then we're not going to be able to depend on the future to, to advance us at all. You're absolutely right. And, you know, um, please um, tell people, you know, where they can find this book. Um, I, I'm going to, you know, everybody needs to read it. You can find it on Amazon.com. You can download it on your Kindle, on your iPhone, anywhere, on your tablets, and you can um, buy it. It'll be at your house in two days. You can go to plantationeducation.net as well just to check on what, what, what's the movement on the NCAA investigation. Yeah, and your bit and your consulting business, where can people find that information? Rain and Associates LLC can find that on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also just hit me up on Instagram at Rashad McCants. Excellent. And, and Rashad, um, I, I'm going to get some final questions from my co-hosts. Uh, for you, but uh, Steve Campbell and I, uh, you know, ha- will definitely um, contact contact you at some point because uh, we have a lot of uh, big stuff going on, and especially with this new big uh, professional sports facility that will be opening. So we'll definitely uh, talk to you at some point. And he wants to catch up with you. He hasn't talked to you in forever. He said and he misses you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely interested, man, and uh, that's my guy. So I know you're good, and you know, you know, Steve, man. I know you're a good dude as well. Yeah, you're you're a good guy too, man. I love having you on. I could talk to you forever. Um, but jo- but jo- <laughs> Josh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, hey. Uh, just uh, how you doing, Rashad? Oh, oh, Josh, good, Josh Bernstein. I, I was talking Bernstein. I was talking to Halabadi. But um, if you have a question, oh, Bernstein, <laughs> Bernstein, go ahead. <laughs> but you you, you, you you piped me in, so I figured you know I'd. <laughs> no worries, you're good. Uh, go ahead, Halabadi. Yeah, you know, I said a final question. I wanted to, you know, give you kind of an opportunity to speak to, you know, maybe maybe a, a you know a guy that came from a similar area as you that you know doesn't really think he has a whole lot going on for him. That maybe you know maybe he thinks the only way out of you know his situation is you know either rap or go to the league. Is you know, I think something Two Chains always says. You know, right. speak to speak to someone like that about the opportunities that he has in this country. Well, man, I could uh, man. When when basketball was shut off to me, my creative juices immediately turned on, and everything that I wanted to do outside of sports started to open up for me. I always wanted to be a director. I always wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be a rapper. I always wanted to be a producer. I always wanted to be like Barry Gordy. Everything that I wanted to do, I started to pursue. And um, pretty much after that, I started understanding how to start these things, how to start these businesses, how to reach out to these people. And I would say to these people who who are being in these situations, 
that nobody can tell you you can't be successful because if, if, if somebody's trying to keep you out of an industry, that industry might not be for you. Don't be one-track-minded. A lot of people one-track-minded. Just Like with basketball, all these guys try to go. It's, it's a, a million people trying to get 300 jobs every year, and they hit the, they hit the brick wall and find out it's not going to happen for them. And then they turn around and they just sit there and they're like, damn, I've been spending my whole life playing basketball. I don't even know what else to do. I don't even do anything else. I'm not even interested. So for me, I would tell those guys to just, if it's something that you have a passion for, attack it, keep pushing. No one can tell you you can't do anything outside of being an athlete. That's just a hobby. Sports is a hobby. It's an extracurricular activity. Josh, go ahead. You, you done, Josh? You have a yeah, you know, I – yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just, you know, I mean, I absolutely agree. I don't really think I can add anything to that, to be honest. Is that exactly what I was looking for to say? I appreciate it. I appreciate absolutely. it, brother. And, uh, Valerie, any final thoughts? No, I just wanted to thank you for, for who you are and what you're doing. I think uh, it's, it's incredible, and I would do what I could to support you. Thank you Absolutely. so much. And, uh, yeah, if you guys got Instagram, hit me up on Instagram so I can follow you back and follow you guys' progression. And uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'll hit and you I up right after quick. this. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And then I think real quick, um, uh, I, Josh Bernstein, do you have a question for Rashad? How you doing, Rashad? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, good, good. I don't know if you know who I am, but uh, – I'm a TV talk show host, national spokesman. My show, The Josh Bernstein Show, is nationally syndicated on Amazon TV. You can download my app and whatnot. But I just want to say it's very refreshing when uh, I hear someone who is a black conservative and uh, they understand that they not only can get off of the Democratic Party's plantation, but they can take off the chains of economic slavery. And I've done a big report on this here just recently and uh, it's just amazing when you think about how long um, black Democrats have been fooled by the system, by big government, mm-hmm. by the chains mm-hmm. of economic slavery, by the Jim Crow laws, by all the things mm-hmm. that the Southern Democrats and the Dixiecrats did, including creating of the, the KKK. And it really just boils back down to who I would say was the worst racist of our time, and that was former President Lyndon Bain Johnson, who literally was probably the most racist president we've ever had. And what did he do? He basically gave through the Great Society all kinds of different handouts and programs and benefits and everything else, and he basically said, I'll have those you-know-whats voting Democrat for the next 200 years. Well, thank wow. God there are people like you and many others that uh, have learned the evil ways of the left. They understand that they can pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They can take personal responsibility for their lives and their actions, mm-hmm. and they can make something for themselves, their family, and their community. And I just want to commend you on uh, on taking that role. And uh, we just hope and pray that more people's hearts and minds are opened up to the ways that the left has been used and using black Americans in particular to control them. Right. I think it's all about word magic, man. It's all about communication and how we word. 
our message and how we deliver it. Because a lot of people love to get uh, misguided by the evil yeah. ways of, of, of the lies and how quick a lie can be spread and how quick a, mm-hmm. a word can be can be misunderstood. We've seen it countless times how one little word can be a, a sound bite that's misunderstood for ages. Just one right. little word. So so when you talk about something that's sensitive, you have to talk about it in, in, in the grace of understanding that we can we can make everyone come together with understanding the word magic and understanding how we place Republican, Democrat, conservative, left-wing, right? When we put it in terms of understanding what's right and what's wrong, I mean, it's easy to know who's been doing the dirt and who hasn't and who's been really right. been trying to do right by the people, we the people. So if exactly. everyone does their research and they understand well, where we are right now, we're in a place where we can come together and we can build together and everybody can be happy about being around each other. But first we've got to stop being ignorant and start exactly. doing research. We've got to start educating ourselves. Like if you're just going to listen to other people talk all day, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Well, you know what they always say: the minute you start thinking for yourself is the last day you're a Democrat. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do want to. Rashad, I, I wish I, you nothing I, but the best. I appreciate you too, brother. Thank you. Okay. Hey, real quick, real quick, before you go, Rashad, um, your your thought your thoughts on Kanye? You know, I. Iris, you know, he's getting heavily involved with the communities and, you know, helping a lot of people. Um, he just moved back to Chicago and, and wants to totally, you know, help in any way he can with all the neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are constantly attacking him, but all I see from Kanye lately is nothing but love and peace and wanting to have open conversations. And he's constantly with different charities on a daily basis, helping out in his in his area of Chicago, lately. I, b- I believe I believe Kanye has a plan, and that plan is to infiltrate and create peace. So that's an impossible plan when you look at it going head on. When you have to go head on, that means you got to join forces. And when you have to join forces, you have to turn your back on everybody who's supporting you just to get in. Just to get in. So when you get in and you see how the operation is actually operating, you can see where things need to change and things need to be fixed. Kanye is the closest guy that can get into the White House and figure out what really needs to happen, what really needs to be changed, right? So let's say he's yeah. been in there, and he and he yeah. knows now. All he knows is that you guys need to stop misinterpreting this message and this hat and stop putting so much power behind this hat because I can wear any kind of hat I want to. You're not going to tell me that not to wear this hat because you don't like the message because if I had yeah. a fuck you hat on, you wouldn't be as um, you wouldn't be as disrespected as just a Donald Trump hat all of a right. sudden. Make America great again is, this, is, is stronger than the word nigga. How? Yeah, and they're, tra- How yeah. That become, and they're trying. It makes no and here's sense. The pro- here's the problem, Rashad. There, there's two. There's, uh, you know, there's a, there's some black people that consider, and you know, ignorant white people, and all these people, you know, that get offended by "Make America Great Again." They try to say, in other words, that means "Make America White Again." No, that's not what it means. We're all yeah. Americans. It basically means putting America first and and doing what's right for our country. It has nothing to do with race. Too many people right. want to talk about race and want to, you know. Right. Go, 
I hate I hate that divisive topic because at the end of the day, we're all Americans. We bleed right. blue, red, and white. Right, right. And but what you see is you see two different edges of the sword. You see the racist black person and you see the racist white person. And so when you're dealing with both sides of the sword, you're looking at two different people who have ideals around one subject. Make America great again to black people is an insult saying that you want to make it slavery again, right? So if that's not what you're saying, you need to change the hat because make America great again, America's never been great to black people. So that's offensive. So on the other side, make America great again, it's like, you know, white people are like, no, don't start saying make make America great again. Black people are our friends now. We don't want to make them think we want to go back to slavery. Now, the tension is high. The tension is high. Now, the tension is high for no reason. The tension is high because make America great again means uh, something else than what is being assumed. We right. are assuming that make America great again means let's go back to slavery times where white people can literally go outside and lynch a black man. Come on, we're way past but that. See, that's, like, that's what the Democratic Party and the, and the left has tried to interpret it to mean, and they've had their friends in the media and in Hollywood and everywhere else, you know, parrot that same line of thinking. And so that's where a lot of this divisiveness comes from. So I think you're absolutely right. Look, when Kanye West can go on a television show and support the president of the United States and he's immediately called an Uncle Tom or a sellout or, you know, or a fool or any other one of these derogatory names that they want to call him, it just goes to show you how broken down the system is. And, you know, look, you know, I'm white. I, Rory's white. I'm sure the gal on the other uh, end of the line there is white. You're, you're a black American. But the bottom line is it's not the color of the skin, just like Martin Luther King said. It's the content of the character. That's why yeah. we have to understand that there's going to be people of all races and all colors, and we've got to be able to judge them by the content of their character. You know, there's many people that are white that are absolutely atrocious people yes. and, and evil people Black and have done horrible well. things. Black people as well. Black people exactly. As well. So that's why it's all about the content of the character. But it's very frustrating when someone thinks for themselves. You know, look, I've always said this on my show and on others. The, uh, you know, a, a, an, an educated voter, whether they're black or white, but an educated voter to the left and to the Democrat Party is what kryptonite was to Superman. Because once they figure it out and that they're educated, they can't be controlled. And in order for the other party to be able to gain power and stay in power, they have to unfortunately control a certain amount of people by giving Mm -hmm. them things and keeping them under the arm of the government's hand. So that's why it's so refreshing. Like I said, I kind of jumped into the conversation towards the end of of your interview. But it's very refreshing to see someone, you know, like yourself and, and Alan West, who I've interviewed, and Herman Cain, who I've interviewed, and, and many other great, prominent, uh, you know, African Americans or, or Black Americans that have not towed the line of, you know, the victimization and, and the race baiting and all the things that have been done for so long. So that's why I just wanted to kind of point that out. No doubt, no doubt. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I want to, Rashad, I want to thank you so much. Uh, real quick, Josh, I know you have one last question. Go ahead, Josh. How about it? Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't have you any know, other questions, uh, so go ahead. Yeah, you know, 
something something I've always that I've always thought about, and I, and I think you just hit it on. You know, both your you know Josh Bernstein and the other conversation is that it's it's it has nothing to do with our skin. It all is about you know the quality of our character. You know, and I think and I and I've said this on this show multiple times. The, the ideas that we communi- the important part is that we communicate ideas with each other because you know even though we you know we're both people there are differences in our communities and how we're raised up and it's important that we have to we discuss these things together because the more we discuss the more we're able to move the dial in the correct way not left or right but in the correct way. Because that's how you get things done is by communicating ideas and sharing things. I agree. I agree. And as long as we keep shutting off that conversation and being resistant to that due to what someone says, I've never seen a country so sensitive to words in my life and we're free to speech. (laughs) I've never seen anything like that. Like all of a sudden you can't say anything without it being racist or you being a sexist or you're being homophobic, or it's like, wow, we can't even say anything anymore. Everybody's so sensitive. And, right, and in, order to get that, in, order, in order to get that sensitive tone to disappear, everyone needs to have dialogue. Everyone needs to talk. Everyone needs to communicate, because without the communication, everyone's going to just have assumptions, and it's going to lead to where we are now, where we all hate each other because you're either on the left side or you're on the right side. So the conversation now when you're dating is, did you vote for Donald Trump? (laughs) (laughs) I know. And, and, you know, Rashad, it's like nobody can have a conversation in today's society or or do an interview with anyone unless they ask about Donald Trump. I mean, it's like he lives lives rent-free in all these people's heads, and he's the (laughs) obsession – He's the obsession of, of every topic. I mean, people cannot stop talking about him, which, you know, is, is understandable. Um, you know, he's – and it's, it's just one of those things where we've never had such a, a figure, you know, whether you love him or you hate him, uh, it's been so uh, – people have been so fascinated by. I mean, it, this, this is all people talk about these days is Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump is a social media genius. You guys forget he he's like a marketing guru. He he's yeah. owned businesses for years. He knows exactly what buttons to push, exactly right. what profit to look for. He knows exactly right. what expenses expenses that he's going to put forth. He knows yes. that America wants entertainment, and he's a he's right. been an entertainer for all his life. Yeah, and exactly. You know what bothers, and you know what bothers me, Rashad? Before you go. What, what bothers me is people want to classify Donald Trump as a racist. And what's funny is they never called him a racist until he w- ran for president and won, just, right. like Floyd Mayweather, right. just like Floyd Mayweather said. You never heard anything about Donald Trump being a racist until he ran for president and won. Everybody loved Donald Trump before he ran for president. He was on all these TV shows. He was pictured with every celebrity. I mean, people loved him. And, you know, you've got people like Mike Tyson, you got Floyd Mayweather, you got Dennis Rodman, you got Kanye West, who all support Trump, just to name a few black athletes that support Trump and, and celebrities, but you got a bunch more. But, and, and people want to claim Trump is a racist. I mean, get the, get the fuck out of here. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, you got to look at what the state of the, state of the emergency is 
information. So if we're de- if we're depending on people to understand that five minutes ago, before Donald Trump won the election, that we all loved him, no matter who we were, the Simpsons. Um, you, you're talking about you know every TV show, every celebrity. No one had a problem with him, right? So then yeah, for the most part, the for the most part. So then you know then he becomes the president, and he had. I know why they don't like him now. I mean, he had to raise Middle America. So once you do that, the stigma that he was willing to weigh on his shoulders was the responsibility for waking that monster to win. He had to do whatever it took to win. So you got to understand, Donald Trump being the president is like two steps backwards for him. He's He's been the president since he was 17. He's been running the country <laughs> doing deals since he was 17 years old. People don't know that. Donald Trump right. being the president now, he's just doing this for his resume. This is just something to say, man, I was the president back in 2018. Did you know that? But you see, Rashad, it's that, it's that mindset. It's that business mindset and thinking that is why this economy is the best it's been in over 50 years. It's why there's been 4 million jobs created. It's why regulations are being zapped by the day. It's why we just entered into a brand new trade agreement. It's why for the first time in our history, we actually had a meeting face-to-face with a North Korean leader. It's why Iran is struggling because of our sanction. It's why the economy and everything else is doing so fantastic because we're now being run not by a policy politician, but by a businessman. And thank God this country is finally being run as a business. That's one reason why he won the, uh, the election, because he looked over at his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's a master real estate developer and marketer, and he said, Jared, help me do this. And Jared looked at social media, and he didn't run it like a political campaign. He ran it like a business. He spent money on ads that worked, and he took money away from ads that did not. He was in your face constantly with all kinds of ads on social media. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton's running ads on television. He was way ahead of the curve. That was one of the reasons why he won. And and I'll touch on what you said, Rashad. He is a master marketer. Think about how good of a marketer he is. Little Marco, low-energy Jeb, Crooked yeah, Hillary, yeah. <laughs> Rocket Man, Lion Ted. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. He is a tremendous, tremendous marketer. Such a good marketer that international media in Brazil and, and India and Malaysia were calling Kim Jong-un <laughs> Rocket Man. That's how powerful <laughs> of a man and his marketing skills have been. He was able to paint his opponents in a way that they've never been painted before, and that's why he won and beat the other 17. Absolutely, absolutely. And I say it like this. Kanye West supports Donald Trump because of the possibilities America allows someone like Donald Trump to even be the president. Everyone looked at the situation like, oh, my God, how could he let this happen? And then the people of creativity, the people who actually think of possibility, we're sitting back like, oh, shit, we got to prepare our speeches. We can be the (laughs) president of the United States now. We can do it because he just did it. Donald Trump just did it, and he did it because he knows business. So all we need to know now is business. Let's go to school. Right. Let's go research all the business. Let's go research how to do deals and trade deals <laughs> and things. Let's go re- let's go read all the stuff that he did, because apparently all the other presidents have been doing the wrong shit. Exactly. Amen to that. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, it, it's um, you know, I, I will I will let you go, Rashad. But you know, I it, it's been a real honor, man. We've uh, we've had John for like about an hour and a half, and as I said, I hey, can talk man, to I you all day. You guys, I, I gave you guys so much sound bites. I should be reading something in the morning. I should, my phone should be blowing up with sound bites. <laughs> Oh no! Don't worry about that. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, but it was, it, dude. It, it's honestly such a pleasure. Um, I could talk to you all day. Like I, like I keep saying, um, you know, you are such a genuine and authentic and, and dedicated and devoted person. And I give so much praise and, and so much love to you. Um, and I want to have you back on, uh, you know, very soon, which I will. I'll get you. I'll get you back on. Um, but yeah, what a, what a, what an honor, man! Thank you, really. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate, you. I appreciate you having me, brother, and I appreciate everybody's insight, and input. I love the political energy that we just spent a little bit of time on there. That was really uplifting. There, I uh, appreciate y'all letting me have uh, you know my time to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Good and uh, Rashad. Yeah, absolutely. Rashad McCants, everybody. Uh, Rashad, one more time, uh, please tell the audience where they can find your book and your company. PlantationEducation.net. You can get it on Amazon.com, Plantation Education, and Rain and Associates, LLC. We are available on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Excellent, excellent. Um, what, very well said. Um, Josh or Valerie, any final questions? Nope. Want to thank you for the opportunity to speak with you, though. It was, it was amazing. Thank okay. you as well. Yeah. You know, you know, likewise, likewise to me. I really appreciate it, and I'll uh, I'll be for sure following up on Instagram and uh, checking in with for you. For sure. Yeah, hit me up, All man. Right. That's where we can communicate. Yeah, sounds sound, sounds good. And Rashad, um, I will also uh, contact. Uh, I'll contact. Uh, you with uh, with Steve, and uh, I'll give Steve your info as well, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you about a bunch of the sports business projects we have going on. Sounds good, boy. I'm listen- looking forward to it. All right, man. You have a blessed night. Take care, and thank you for coming on. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. All right. Rashad McCants, everybody. Wow. What an interview. That was absolutely uh, fantastic. Um, leaders of Black for Trump, are you there? Yeah. What did you think of the interview? It was great, absolutely great. I would. Did you did you have questions for him? Because yeah, I had a few questions, but you know it's okay. He'll be I back had, on uh, next week. What what were you going to be yeah, your questions? I, no, I was just going to. Uh, point out to him like I got a chance to point out to other stars that the real problem is not between black and white and I understand our brothers being upset with us going on a knee at the NFL game I understand that and um, but you got to also remember that the police turned their back on Bellagio and the flag the mayor of my of New York because he disrespected a police officer so Everybody has the right to protest, but you just got to know who your actual enemy is. I think it's right. wrong to do it at the NFL because the NFL, white people are not our actual problem. So right. we need to find out what our problem is, 
and boycott them. Don't hurt the people that fought to free us. It's the demon crap Confederate rebels that dogged us out and that are killing us. Those are the people we need to hurt, not the people that fought to free us. So um, I love what he was saying. I love what he's doing. He's trying to free our people. So yeah. I'm just proud to have been able to hear how he thinks and what he thinks. Yeah. The only thing he was missing in that is he don't know who the enemy is. White Gentiles are not our enemy. We're blood brothers. We love each other. You know how I know? Because Rory was acting extremely civilized while he was on the phone because that brother. So, you know, sometimes, you know how you say nigger and all that stuff, which is cool, but you wouldn't say that there because you understood that it, it would be disrespectful. So those are the kind of people you have listening to you now because you you have sense. And everything you're saying is logical. And everything he was saying is logical, but they're missing that one point that everybody is afraid to touch on that is not white police officers who are Gentiles. Are <laughs> those right. are my family members. And, and, right. and, and the Bible says, until we reveal the sons of perdition that's doing this here, the two brethren, the Gentile and the black man, will never come together. And if right. we don't come together and we start fighting, God is going to kill everybody. That's 2 Peter 3, 6. That is my message. So right. But for Trump, we don't, we, Michael, Michael stay, on, stay on the line. Stay on the line. Josh Bernstein, I want to give you a proper introduction. Um, political strategist, entrepreneur, activist, and popular talk show host, Josh Bernstein. Thank you for calling in. Um I want to get – we have a lot to talk about. Uh, real quick, though, um, first of all, I want to say to everyone, the FBI report uh, on Kavanaugh will be released on Thursday for everyone to see, including the senators, is what I read. And that was going to be my opening monologue. But, uh, but Rashad, Rashad McCants called in a little early, so I, I got the call. Um, and I never got to go into my opening monologue, which was going to be at Kavanaugh. Um, but, you know, just a few things, um, uh, let, you know, there's the Utah man that was suspected of mailing rice into President Trump and General Mattis has been arrested. That is confirmed. Um, the Trump-Mueller interview and negotiations stall once again as two more prosecutors have left the Russia probe. So the Russia probe, people don't even want to be involved with it anymore because they know it's a sham. Um <clears throat> Here, here's another interesting report out today. Christine Blasey Ford's ex-boyfriend says she helped friend prep for a uh, potential polygraph. And, and we have and now more reports of anti-Kavanaugh protesters are tied to George Soros, which, which was kind of already figured. But just all of these different new re, you know, uh, things that are released in all of these bombshells, and uh, Josh Bernstein, I know you have a lot of the inside. Uh, please uh, give us some information about this. And you even have proof that uh, Dr. Ford, uh, Wayne's World, Garth, is lying. <laughs> That's one way to put it to her. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, I always couple said things she looks like uh, Dana Carvey. <laughs> yeah, a couple things I, I've figured out here and, and have heard. Um, number one, the prosecutor from Maricopa County, Rachel Mitchell, she had a closed-door private meeting with all 51 Republican senators. And in that meeting, she, she told them point blank that not only should they confirm 
this judge. She said there's no but case. that she doesn't believe any of the uh, accusations, and she yep. said that the case is so weak that it doesn't even meet the 50-50 threshold. Now, in a he-said-she-said said type of case, you believe 50% of the victim, you believe 50% of the defendant. She said in this case it's so weak that she doesn't meet the 50-50 threshold. It's more like 15 or 20. She didn't give a number, but I'm just saying it's probably 10 or 15%. Now, that's uh, a big, big development because that gives cover for all of the Republicans. If I had to guess right now, I do not believe Jeff Flake is going to vote for Kavanaugh. Okay, I'm just going to say it right now. Everything that I know, I talked to Kelly Townsend, I talked to um, you know, my good friend uh, Andy Biggs, I know him very well. He doesn't yep. believe that he's going to talk to, that he's going to vote for um for uh, Kavanaugh. He said it could happen. You know, you know right who now, I think will though? Real quick real quick, Josh, you know who I think will? is red state Democrat Joe Manchin. Uh, he's been on Trump's side uh, for multiple votes, uh, things that he's voted with Trump multiple times, and I, he's well, already said he's leaning towards a, a yes for Kavanaugh. We need more than him, though, in order to make this happen. Because if, uh, if one of the, uh, the sisters, you know, the liberal sisters, uh, Murkowski or Collins, Collins. decides yeah. to defect, uh, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to need Heitkamp and, and Donnelly and some of the others. So I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, if I had to make a prediction, this is going to come down to Mike Pence, in my opinion, right. I think. And I think right. that you're looking at a squeaker. Real quick, who do you think is more likely to vote for Kavanaugh, Murkowski or Collins? I think Collins is more likely to Collins. I think Collins is because she has a track record of supporting all Supreme Court nominees for all parties. So in other words, all the years through Bush and, and everything else, she supported every one of those Supreme Court justices. She also did the same thing, though, unfortunately, for Obama. So in other words, she's one of those people that believes that a president deserves who they choose for the Supreme Court. Well, that's good and bad, obviously, because then you know you have votes for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. But that also means that you had votes for John Roberts, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and now hopefully uh, Brett Kavanaugh. So I would assume that she would be a yes vote. Lisa Murkowski me... is, is a wild card. Um, I would assume that what Collins does, Murkowski will do. So, I'm, I, again, if I had to make a guess here, I think the only Republican that's going to vote no, and again, I could be wrong, and I hope I am, believe me, I hope I am wrong. But if I had to guess, I would say that Jeff the Flake from actual Snowflake, Arizona, named after his great-great-grandfather, uh, I think he would be the one that would defect. But he said, Jeff Flake said that if they made the deal and do the week with the FBI, that he would vote Republican. I know, but he's an anti-Trumper. He hates Trump, and he's, uh, you know, he's very wishy-washy. I mean, you saw what happened to him in the elevator. And then the other right. part of that is he voted for he voted to bring the vote to the to the floor, but that doesn't mean that he's going to complete the the, the circle, so to speak. I hope yeah. he does. Believe me, I hope he does. I just know a lot of people that know Jeff Flake, and he's very, right. you know, he's very flake. flaky. I, I mean, you know, he lives up to his to his name. Yeah. And here's the thing about oh. here's the thing about Flake is that I he's he's so close with 
all these Democrats, like one of his best friends is Chris Coons, the Democrat senator. I forget where he's from, but they just did an event this weekend. In, uh, yeah, I mean, so he's yes, not even been a real Republican. He's never been a real Republican. He's always been a rhino. Well, actually, that's not true. That's not true. If you look at his voting record, here's the thing. When he came into the Senate, don't forget, Jeff Flake ran as a Tea Party conservative. Okay, he did. And he actually had the credentials and the ideological record and the conservative scorecard record to prove that he, you know, that he was a Ted Cruz type of guy. And if you look at his voting record, this is the scary part. He votes with President Trump 90, 95, 97% of the time. He is there for all the critical votes. And throughout his career in the Senate, he has been a very reliable conservative vote. However, on certain issues, Barack Obama going to Cuba, he was right there to tag along with him to talk to the dictators in Cuba. Uh, He's been an anti-Trumper. He's been horrible in that respect. He's been soft on immigration which has been another disaster. He's against, you know, uh, the trade deals. So, again, he does have a lot of negatives, and he has a lot of liberal positions, especially on social issues. But when it comes to the fiscal issues, he's as solid as they get, which is really what's so disturbing about it, because he should be a reliable conservative, and yet he's trying to, I don't know, take over the position of John McCain. Thank God he's leaving the Senate. I mean, because we don't want someone in the Senate that is not someone that we know is going to vote the way that we need them to vote in order to advance President Trump's agenda. Right. And, you know, you said you have proof and uh, that obviously Ford is lying, and we know she's lying, but uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. Um, Here's the thing. As a professor, there's a couple things. Uh, As a professor... She may have perjured herself, which is why I've re-nicknamed her Christine Perjure Fraud, okay? I believe she made this entire thing up. And the reason that I believe that she made this entire thing up is that in 2008, Christine Ford did a research article, and it was a study in which participants were taught self-hypnosis and how to, quote, create artificial situations. The paper was titled, quote, Meditation with Yoga, Group Therapy, Hypnosis, and Psychoeducational Long-Term Depression and Mood Swings. The paper states that, quote, hypnosis could be used to, quote, assist in the retrieval of distant memories and or create artificial new ones. That would permit the client to express what's known as ego-dystonic emotions in a safe manner. Ego-dystonic emotions and memories, in plain terms, are negative or artificial thoughts. So I believe, completely different from what Republicans and conservatives believe, I don't believe that something happened to her. I believe this was a situation in which she was the aggressor, she was the sexual predator, He was the victim. He didn't like her for whatever reason. I'm sure they knew each other at some point. I know he says that he didn't, but I'm sure at some point they probably crossed paths. She liked him. He jilted her, and she has held this grudge against him all this time. She's the one that's the alcoholic. If you look at her yearbook, the Holton Arms sex culture, uh, from gold G-string to 
beer pong parties to naked beauty pageants to um, all-night benders. I mean, you want to talk about a yearbook. If we're going to talk yearbook to yearbook, Christine Blasey Ford's yearbook is absolutely way worse. I mean, those girls in that school were sexual yep. predators against the Georgetown prep Big boys. Time okay? Big time They were Big all time promiscuous young gals. And then she says that she had one beer. Please, that whole yearbook is filled <laughs> with things about blacking out. They used to about do one games beer called the blackout game. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, and now, yeah, here's the grand finale. Yeah. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford may not be a doctor after all and may have perjured herself once again. In her introduction to the committee, she raised her hand and she said, quote, My name is Christine Blasey Ford. I am a professor of psychology at Palo Alto University and a, quote, research psychologist at Stanford University School of Medicine. Well, the problem lies in the word psychologist. According to record searches through the California Department of Consumer Affairs Licensing Bureau, which provides a state-run database of all currently licensed psychologists in the state of California, they did not produce an, a, a search result for a Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, a Dr. Christine Ford, a Dr. Blasey, or a Dr. Ford. So she may have had a license at one time, but as of right now, she's either inactive or unlicensed. Now, to call oneself a psychologist without being licensed is the equivalent of a law school graduate calling themselves a lawyer without passing the bar exam. According to the California Business Professional Code and Ethics Sections 2900 to 2919, and in particular Section 2903, it states, quote, no person may engage in the practice of psychology or represent themselves as a psychologist without a license granted under Chapter 2902 of the California Business Codes and Ethics Rules. So I think the Republicans need to investigate her to find out if she perjured herself, number one, which is why I've changed her name to Christine Perjure Fraud, and number two, is she an actual psychologist? Wow, you talk about you talk about dropping the ball. You talk about Jesus a bombshell report. Wow, wow. We have about two minutes left, but holy shit, um, that is something that is uh, quite. Uh, yeah, that caught me off guard. Yeah, that caught me off guard. A psychologist a is a psychologist a doctor? Don't you have to be a psychiatrist yeah. to be a doctor? No, a psychologist is a doctor. You're, you have a doctor degree, yeah. but psychiatrist is more extensive and longer. You have to go to school for. Right, but the thing you is, know, is though, why Somebody is there no on the radio today? Why huh? is there no uh, search results for her being a, a uh, psychologist? That's the that's the part of the question that needs to be answered. And why exactly. is she always called doctor? You know, there's so somebody was mentioning on the radio today, like Ben Carson. He's never called doctor. You know, he's a neurosurgeon, but he's never called doctor. He's just yeah, called and Ben he's Carson. Yeah, he's a real doctor. <laughs> right. Right. Josh, yeah. go ahead. Hell of a no, I was just going to say, and he's like a real, real doctor. So well, look, I, I don't know what's going to happen, other, guys. Jo- uh, I'm assuming a- it's going to be a nail biter. I think yeah. you're looking at a fifty-fifty tie. 
with Mike Pence coming in to save it. But yeah. honestly, I'm really good at predictions. I can't predict this one. I can't because I, I can't get inside the mind of Murkowski. I can't get right. inside the mind of Collins, and I can't get inside right. the mind of Jeff Flake. I know Flake from other people that are close to him. Right. I would say that he would be the one that would be the defector. But, again, right. I hope real I'm wrong. Quick, real quick, Jay Halavate, go ahead. Yeah, you know, just to, just to make 20 a prediction. Sec, about know, 30 seconds. Just 30 seconds. Yep, go ahead, Halavate. I'm going to make it real short. Just to make a prediction, I do think Flake is going to end up um, not flaking and voting oh, for good. Kavanaugh. But that's just, you know, that's just a prediction I'm going to make. I got – I don't have a whole lot of inclination, but uh, I just think it's going to go that way. I hope you're right. From your lips to God's ears. And, and, and Josh, Josh Bernstein, we're out of time, but, you know, the New York Times put out a fake article about uh, Trump taking uh, money illegally from his father, a tax scheme, which they're totally lying about. And I'm going to get to that on my show tomorrow. Have you been uh, doing much research about that? No, to be quite honest, I haven't. I just kind of oh, ignored God. it, okay. like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pathetic. But Josh, like thirty seconds, go real quick. Plug yourself. Yeah, look, uh, national spokesman for AMAC. Um, contact them at eight 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 two six two two zero zero six. Tell them that you heard about AMAC on Rory Souter's show, and you'll get a free membership. So if you're fifty years of age and older, and you want something different than AARP. Try the conservative alternative, which is AMAC. Um, and uh, you can check me out on um, Amazon, Amazon Prime, Roku Television, Fire Stick Television, all those different places. If you want to learn about my biography, you can look me up on Wikipedia. Excellent. Uh, Josh Bernstein, always a pleasure. Uh, we'll see you uh, next week, sir. And uh, you got I look it. forward, forward to, more, to it. more reports. All right. Cheers. Okay. Bye. And I'll tell you, I think, you know, uh, Kavanaugh will be confirmed uh, by the end of this week. Um, I think we have a lot to look forward to. Um, I feel very optimistic about this one. I just want to say that. Um, uh, as always, to name a few places, you can find our show, Radio Public, Blurberry, iHeart, Stitcher, CastBox, Player.fm, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, just to name a few. Um, I want to thank all the co-hosts. I want to thank all the special guests. that We had an amazing show tonight. All the sponsors, all the audience. Um, please, uh, Valerie, go ahead. Plug, your, plug yourself real quick. Sure. Um, our, our organization is SkyRaceSecurity.com, and my book is BackyardJihad.com. Thanks, Rory. Excellent. Um, and, Josh, go ahead. Halavate. Yeah, if you'd like, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram, at J-O-S-H-H-L-A-V-A-T-A-Y. Appreciate it. Excellent. And, everybody, we will be presenting you uh, with the Next Gen USA, um, our new media site, uh, tomorrow. Um, and if not tomorrow, um, we will pre be presenting it to you, to you in the next couple of days, and we will be doing our live broadcast from there, which we're excited about. Uh, as always, you can visit RorySodder.tv. Uh, you can also visit Rory, me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, please visit GetYourAppBuilt.com. Again, that's GetYourAppBuilt.com. Please also visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Again, that's TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Um, it's been a wonderful night. Uh, I love being with all of you as always. 
we will have a huge show tomorrow. And the stuff I didn't get to tonight, I will get to tomorrow uh, as usual. Um, but everybody, have a safe night. Have a blessed night. Uh, God bless and uh, much love. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Cheers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.